tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. We were able to be all these things and do all these things because we were informed by great men, men who were revered. All men and women created by the goal, you know the you know the It's going to say, you want free speech? Let's see you acknowledge a man whose words make your blood boil, who's standing center stage and advocating at the top of his lungs that which you would spend a lifetime opposing at the top of yours. You want to claim this land as a land of the free? Now show me that. Defend that. Celebrate that in your classroom. Then stand up and sing about the land of the free. Which do you like more, Congress or lice? <laughs> Well, we like lice. Here's my eight words people need to stop redefining. Hate, victim, hero, shame, violence, survivor, phobic, and white supremacist. That America's leading industry is still the manufacture, distribution, packaging, and marketing of bullshit. So, uh, considering the fact that none of you will hear what we started with, I'll just call it take two and uh, go from there. Um, you, know, F, you know, F you, Skype. That's all I have to say. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to try this again and see if maybe I can get it a little bit more on point and more poignant this time. But, uh, basically, as promised to him on Twitter, I have to answer a call out from Stargate Pioneer, as he's referred to on Twitter. Um We've talked a lot of back and forth with regards to the January 6th, and uh, he uh, I'm going to make a guess, and I don't know that I'm 100% accurate on this, that he is a proponent of Liz Cheney as far as running for president. Um, he asked us the question that we answered last week as to whether or not she would be somebody we would vote for, and my answer was very simply, it would depend on who she runs against. Um I I do not find her necessarily to be any better than any other garden variety politician or any worse for that matter. But she is a politician. She comes from a family of politicians. And I have trouble having faith in politicians. But his statement, his question that he's come up with is, or I guess you'd call it a statement, was that we have on this cast done a decent amount of complaining and he doesn't disagree with our complaints. But he, what he said he hasn't heard of is a lot of solutions. Um, and so I'll take uh, the, both of the things that he's questioned me about this. And I know with regards to the political aspect of it, Sean laid out his solutions several casts ago. Uh, we haven't really heard mine. Mine comes in a couple of fold. First of all... Um, I, I, I think one of the main things that we need to address, and I think it's one little thing, well, it's not little, but one thing with regards to Congress that I think would solve so many problems, and that would be term limits in Congress. Uh, quite frankly, it's senators at six, they're six years, correct? I uh, believe so. Okay, for, for six years, I, I personally, I don't, I don't think a senator should have more than one term. You know, for a uh, sitting, uh, uh, oh, geez, that thing almost blinked on me again. I almost freaked out. 
<laughs> As I said, fuck you, Skype. <laughs> Mine's still going. We're good. Uh, but as far as a, um, a a sitting House of Representative members at two years, I don't personally think they should have more than three terms. And even then, maybe even call it two. Uh, I think what we need to be doing is is creating less of a elite governing class. And the first step in doing that is creating term limits. Um, with regards to the other thing was uh, with regards to electric vehicles. We've done a lot of complaining with regards to the fact that we're not ready for electric vehicles. And he asked for what my solution would be. And my solution is, I don't honestly know. I'm not an engineer. Uh, you want to talk about uh, medical lasers? I'm your man. You want to talk about what we should and shouldn't be doing with those? I am probably on the East Coast one of the better experts as far as that's concerned. With that said, I barely know how to change my oil or a tire when it comes to vehicles. So uh, what I can tell you is, is what I've heard from people who are electrical engineers, automotive engineers, nuclear uh, physicists, etc. And what that a lot of times comes down to is that electric vehicles are a wonderful idea that we are simply not ready for yet. Uh, our power grid is not ready for it. Our ability to create the the batteries that we'll need for those is not ready yet. And a lot of those solutions come down to things like switching over our power grid to more nuclear power, which would solve not only burning coal, but also, if I'm understanding correctly, that a lot of the waste that the modern nuclear uh, facilities create can be used to create these large car batteries. Uh, so, so, look, I, I, what I, my suggestion is, is how would I solve this? I would solve this very simply and very easily, and I would actually won't even take credit for the idea. It came from Douglas Adams. That if we take enough of these engineers, lock them in a room, and bribe them with pizza that they can't have till they come up with an idea, that that's what I would do. Yeah, well, I, the the prophet Douglas Adams has uh, has never really come up with an idea that wouldn't be that wouldn't work. It's just you know not feasible most of the time. <laughs> And I still I do refer to him as a prophet in most of uh, my outward life and, and anyone who asks. But there are a few people that if you read the stuff that he was writing in the 80s and 90s, who was not more prophetic in what we deal with and have going on today. Yeah, isn't that weird? You know? uh, yeah. The only other person I come up with who uh, and, and this was more socially than uh, technology wise uh <laughs> Robert Heinlein really called a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, you ain't kidding. Unfortunately, that's true. Uh, I I consider myself, or I like to to think about the future quite a bit. Uh, as far as being a futurist goes, I try and look at the the way people do things and the patterns that they do, and come up with what I think the most likely outcome is. With politics. Uh, my answer, I, I, we've, uh, Jake has said this, uh, several times before we came up or we did a cast several casts ago. Um, I'm not sure what the number is, but, um, where I outlined how I'd fix the political stuff. Um, 
largely unpopular, it never would be able to get done because I don't think we are capable in this country of a peaceful transition of power um, away from the actual elites that currently have it. Um, they'll trade back and forth. It's sort of like uh, playing cat, like monkey in the middle. Like it doesn't matter who has it as long as the guy in the middle doesn't have it and the American people are the guy in the middle. Um, that's, you know, so you're going to have to get rid of that, right? That's, that's a political thing. And I've, I've gone on record ad nauseum on, on what I think of that. Um, term limits, get rid of them, have, have it be compulsory. You know, uh, I think, uh, Jake's comment was, was pretty just dead on. Oh, I got Congress this month. Shit. You know, like that's, that's kind of where I, where I stand on it, but. Hey, will, you can will being overweight and diabetic get me out of that, too, like it did jury duty? It will not. <laughs> Damn. You know, like, the more you try and back out of it, the more they're going to be like, oh, no, you're the guy. <laughs> you're the guy. No, 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 we need that. Uh, hey, uh, what, 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 once again, going back to Douglas Adams, anyone who's capable of getting themselves elected should under no uh, circumstances ever be actually allowed to do the job. Right. And I, I think, you know, politically, that that would be more of my solution. Uh, as far as transportation goes, uh, for Jake, this is going to be a little redundant. Uh, for for transportation. <laughs> Take two. We, yeah. We come from such different, diverse backgrounds that I don't think that people really understand where other people are coming from. Right. You can take the same group of people and uh like take for instance my second cousin who literally said to me uh he doesn't understand what the big deal is about transportation uh just take the tunnel uh the the subway can get you anywhere you want to go i don't understand why anybody needs to be driving or why we're having this big thing about cars there's not even a place to park them now this is from a man who has never lived outside of New York City in his life. He lives within 15, 20 miles of where he was born and has never lived outside of that. Like far for him is Brooklyn, Queens. Uh, this in, in is Jersey's another planet. Yeah, that's that's oh, you don't want to go there. <laughs> you know, that's that's where the sub people go. Or radioactive you know, other planets. The undesirables. You know, that's that's far away. Uh, by the way, half my family lives in Jersey <laughs> on my mom's side. Like a lot of some of them live in New York, but but most of them live in Jersey. Hey, New Jersey is free to get in. Costs a minimum of five dollars to leave. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I got I got kin in like Brunswick, Bricktown, Coltsneck, you know, uh, like uh, Newark. Like uh, there's there, I, most of my my mom's side of the family live in Jersey. So I've been there quite a bit. Uh, it's sort of like Mississippi. Like I can make fun of Mississippi because I'm from Mississippi. <laughs> right? Yes, I can. I can make fun of them. Uh, but uh, if you ever heard my real accent, you'd know. However, uh, take that same idea and put them in Texas. Right? I live 35 miles away from my office. It takes 45 minutes to an hour to get to it. Now, my vehicle is my office. Uh, my wife's too. Uh, she has a service vehicle and a laptop, and that's just – and they, she gets a list of everything. She goes places uh, every every morning, and then she heads off – could be two, three hours away to, to fix a technical problem at a bank or, or whatever it is and, and redo an ATM or, or whatever. That's what she does. So she – like the, the train ain't going to work for her. The bus isn't going to work for her. The, 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 so, the funny part about it is in the office that encompasses my business – I actually do have an office. <laughs> um, 
I don't know how often the lights have ever been turned on in that office. Uh, I know the computer that is on the de- on my desk in my office. Do you I, have the password to it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, hand people my business card and basically tell them, you know that first number where it says, oh, don't bother, I am never there. Yeah, Shannon doesn't even have her work phone on her. Well, I mean, her work phone, yeah, because they gave her a cell phone, but they, she does not have her office phone on her business card because she's like, there's no point. I'm not. She has worked there a year and change. She has been to the office twice. She has a desk there. She doesn't know which one it is. Um, I at least know which one's mine. Yeah, well, I mean, she's like, I got a cube, but I'm not there. Why would I, I need to go there? I think it's hilarious that I actually have above and beyond a cube. I have an actual, honest-to-God office. <laughs> and you are never at it. Nope. So, I mean, I, she goes all over. I mean, I, and she's got a little service truck, and she just goes. Uh, having no personal transportation would not work for her. Um, you listen to any of the uh, professionals who who work on, have experience with, and have designed battery technology and electronic technology for EV vehicles, and they will tell you our infrastructure will not support it. Our battery technology isn't there yet, and our, our lithium resources are very hard and very expensive to mine. It would not be feasible to to move the American populace to EV vehicles right now, as as Biden and his administration have have set us on that path. It's just not possible. Well, but see, here here's the other problem with this is, and and you once again have already had the opportunity to hear me say this, uh, <laughs> is, you know, we just earmarked and spent over a trillion dollars supposedly on infrastructure sure. now obviously just like our n- nice inflation reduction bill a lot of that actually isn't even going to infrastructure but maybe taking some of that trillion or so dollars and building some of these um the power plants building and adding to the lines that generate our electricity you know yeah. versus just kind of going uh, yeah, we're going to do this in the next uh, 10 years or so, and we'll figure it out then. I, basically, what it is that we're doing, and it's what it is that Sean and I are railing about, is deciding to burn down the village to save it. And it's it's a little tough, right? It's It's a little tough because you have to figure out a way forward, and I absolutely agree that doing something like moving to EV vehicles is not only a good idea, it's vitally important. Uh, I just don't think we're there yet. Uh, just like uh, AOC's dumbass plan uh, when she did her green plan or whatever it was to ground all planes, uh, which is hysterical because she flies everywhere. And kill uh, but all the she, cows. Right. And, and, oh, and by the way, she doesn't make enough money to start a family. Uh, yes, that whole $174,000 a year is not enough for her to start a family. There are some people making miracles happen if, if just shy of 200K is not enough to start a family. But still, like, look at – look at uh, you want to you wanna know how we push that forward? Let me, let me give you a, a small example, okay? The, in 1975 – and this is true. You can look it up. In 1975 – the average MPG of a just an average vehicle, right, a light duty vehicle, was 13 miles per gallon. Okay, that's 1975. That's the year before I was born. 
13 miles per gallon. Do you know what it is now? Uh, I think it's anywhere from 18 to 25. 26 miles per gallon. I wasn't as far off as I thought it was going to be. You're almost dead on. Which means we have, not quite, but almost doubled. In my lifetime, we've doubled the MPG, uh, the average MPG of vehicles. Now, that takes into account the, uh, like my wife has, uh, that doesn't get driven very much right now, is the 5.7 liter Hemi she has in her Dodge that gets 13 miles per gallon, the average in 1975. And the 22... Well, when they started having Hemis was like 1975. Oh, God, I love that. I love that truck. You could pull a Burger King from here to New <laughs> Brunswick and it wouldn't make any difference, you know? It doesn't... <laughs> yeah, I'm pulling a small building behind me. <laughs> It matters the same thing. You get uh, my truck, which gets 22 miles per gallon. It's a little Tacoma four by four. This is like your 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 average is going up. We've do- almost doubled our fuel economy in the last 40 years. Okay, um, do your restrictions like that? Like, look, we're not trying to take your ice cars away from you, but like, do you know what your average Camry gets right now? 36 miles or 35 miles to the gallon. I know I had one. Uh, and it averaged 35 miles to the gallon. Okay, that's extraordinary. There's there's hybrid vehicles that, that get about that, that average about that. Okay, they're capable of making engines that are more efficient. Uh, Dodge just, in fact, uh, just this year, Dodge canceled the Hemi engine for a V6 turbocharged engine called the Hurricane engine uh, because – they can't sell enough Hemis anymore because people aren't buying them because of the gas shortage and gas is just so expensive, or not a gas shortage, but the gas uh, pricing, it's getting so expensive that they're like, crap, we got to move. The market is adjusting and fixing itself. It is moving. We are going to to be off. We're going to be off of fuel fossil fuels eventually, and, and we're moving towards more efficient vehicles. I didn't get a Toyota Tundra because it got – I think nine or ten less MPG than the Tacoma I got because I was like, well, I can get most of the same truck. I'm not going to use that Tundra except for, you know, this or this or this. And and this is $7,000 less and gets 10 MPG better. Why would I not do that? And I did. People are making those types of decisions. So, Well, that kind of goes into a lot of what's – I mean, hell, you can you can take this back to any topic you want as to what's going on right now. And that is the pure and simple fact of uh, the, the, the faith in in an, in, a, in an individual to make a decision for themselves is gone. <laughs> yeah, it, it, whether it's who they vote for, who what medications they choose to take, which doctor they go to see. Um, you know, what, edu- what are they going to study in education? Uh, it, any of these things are no longer things that people assume that an individual actually has the wherewithal to make a decision for themselves. I would suggest to you that it has largely been regulated onto a lot of our larger decisions uh, and by people you are the last people you want making life decisions for you. The 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 issues that we're going to face in the future that our children are going to face, your kid and mine, 
are going to be vastly different and more costly than the ones we're currently doing. And I think they will have less choice than we did. They will have less control than we did unless we start to make good decisions. I'll give you an example. The obvious manipulation of voter sentiment, which is currently being bantered about in our political system well, today. Whichever side that you're on, you're convinced that the if the other side were to win the next election, that democracy is over. Oh, yeah. Now, no, I, now whether, yeah, there's no good winner now, there. Now, whether or not that's because of who gets to vote or um, how the vote is tallied, that may be completely different. But somewhere along the line, whoever wins, the other side is going to swear that once that happens, democracy is dead. Yeah, they're already doing that. Right. They're already saying this is a threat against democracy, both sides of them. And there was a and I I, I, I come by this from, from a, a early age. There was a a show or a movie back. I guess it was in the 80s called Brewster's Millions. You ever seen that? Yes. We should add it to the list. We should add it to the list. Our 80s cheesy movie list. That's a fantastic. Uh, it was a fantastic kind of allegory. Um <laughs> In this movie, it was starring Richard Pryor. It's a brilliant movie about how money changes people and how things get done, right? How how greed and avarice affects people and what it really means in your life. And I'm adding it to our document here. This is going to happen, by the way. We are starting. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> and in fact, it was Starpy who was he sent me a text saying, "Hey." If you do like a planes and, and cars and all that kind of stuff podcast, um, if I don't get an invite, I'm going to be pissed off. And <laughs> like, dude, we're doing an 80s cheese podcast. And I think we can invite like co-hosts who will have a. Uh, well, uh, I, 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 what I think it is, is that we we spoke earlier about this, that we should be giving listeners an opportunity to suggest movies. Depending on who said listener is, they should be able to come on and discuss said movie with us. Absolutely. I think so. I think so. Uh, but it's uh, just a just a small pre, uh, I guess, um, uh, hype up, I guess. Uh, one of the just a small trailer. Uh, we are going to do an 80s cheese movie podcast thing. I haven't quite figured out what we're going to call it. Uh, I'm doing the logo next week. And um, it will st <laughs> it will star in uh, two Gen Xers uh, for your hosts and a Gen Z, which is my eldest daughter, Kayla. Uh, and we're going to run through cheesy 80s movies and get our take and her take. And uh, probably uh, if you guys suggest a movie and, and have the ability and want to come on or, or want to do whatever, you guys can come on and, and hang with us and talk about the movie and we can we can suggest different uh scenarios and how that works and all that kind of thing so that is happening we are in the process of making that i know it's another cast i'm doing but you know what <laughs> screw it uh some of some of them like there's a long wait for another strange new world so i'm okay <laughs> and we can kind of <laughs> rotate between stuff you know i'm not doing the guns cast right now and troopers doing some other things so we've got we've got other stuff going however uh, there was a uh, to bring that back around. There was a it was called Brewster's Millions, starred Richard Pryor, and one of the ways he he uh, 
he had to get rid of all this money so he could get a lot of more money, right? So he had to understand what spending it was like. And one of the things he did is start a political campaign. None and of his, the above. None of the above, in, in right? Fact, in fact, the last presidential election, I wrote in none of the above. Right. Uh, there's, there's, there's nothing – like he gets on TV and it's like Richard Pryor looking jauntily into the camera. He's like, we're all assholes. <laughs> and I remember thinking that as a kid going, you know, I think he might be right. <laughs> and as I turned out to – you know, as I – learned more about the political system and the people involved in it, I learned that this was the most prophetic statement I have ever heard in my entire life. Like, they are. They're all assholes. None of them care about you. None of them care about anything except their own personal greed, the the success of their reelection, and how much they can take from the American people. That's it. That's all any of them care about. And anyone who tells you differently is selling something or involved in one of those candidates' parties. That's that's the truth. I'm not kidding. You want to hear truth? That's the truth. It's uncomfortable. It sucks. And it's the way we built things. But that's the truth. So with that in mind, uh, I, I worry for the ability of our children to move forward in an environment where the deck is not only stacked against them, but in makes them incapable of anything resembling progress. Which is considered progressive. Would, yes. Uh, but, <laughs> man, so bad. Uh, but anything resembling progress without violent repercussions on both sides happening first. Because the, the, the we're right now in the, – we're the frog in the water, and they're turning the heat up, right? And, and it's like – Everyone will sit there as long as they have the bread and circuses. So, well, the, the other part about it is, is it's debatable as to whether or not you, and I don't mean you specifically, Sean. I mean you, as in anybody listening. One, would, yeah. Uh, do uh, would believe this is the way things are going or not? But it's it's rather eerie to look at how many of the institutions are being changed to give the government more control over your day-to-day -day life mm. whether whether it's the um the, the push to move to digital currency whether it's the push to have more control over how we communicate with each other whether or not it's the push to have the rs deciding uh viewing where we spend our money uh, much less having armed agents to come and tell you what you can and can't do with your money. I, you, one of the things I, I heard, and, and once again, I don't know if this is accurate, but it's just kind of a interesting way to put it, that most of the electric vehicles that you have today are connected cellularly to the people who actually manufacture them and have cutoffs. Mm -hmm. So not only that, they have the ability now to tell you where you can and can't go. Now, as I said, you can debate as to whether or not you think your side, the other side, or either side is actually has intentions on using that. But the fact that it's there is is kind of interesting. They're already using it. Do you, do you know? Now, there's a very select portion of the populace who actually would have a chance of knowing this. But uh, let me give you an example of that. 
the hypercar manufacturer or supercar manufacturer McLaren. You're familiar with them, yes? Oh, yeah. So if you take your McLaren to one of any number of tracks in the United States, it will immediately void the warranty. Because if they show that car showing up at, I don't know, Willow Springs or or uh, Laguna Seca or any <laughs> any of the tracks that are known in the United States where you might take a McLaren and let's say you burn the clutch up, whether you were there to watch a race and it didn't even rev over 2000. If you take your McLaren to that track, it is going to void the warranty because they're just sure you're going to burn the clutch up or some other wild problem that they're going to have. So and they will tell you not only are you not insured by going to that racetrack, we're going to void your warranty. And um, <laughs> and they're not they know because your car's always in cellular communication with the manufacturer and by the way that technology is being put as you have said into many other vehicles not including bmw like not just bmw's uh seat heater uh uh subscription which which, which means that not only is this technology going into every vehicle but you get to pay monthly to have them have that capability right now, some things like GM vehicles, like you, if you're like, look on the top of your visor or look on your up uh, uh, ceiling mounted. Yeah, if you've got OnStar, that means your vehicle communicates on a regular basis with the manufacturer and downloads data. Um, if you're stupid enough to put that little dongle in your OBD2 reader so that you have a discount on your insurance, do you know what that dongle is doing? <laughs> See, I'm always convinced that if I put that on on my my vehicle, that my insurance is going to go up. Well, yeah, of course it is, because <laughs> everybody breaks the law. Everybody does. Everybody speeds. Everybody blows through a stoplight. Everybody, you know, right hand turn on red or whatever it is when you're not supposed to, or or changes lanes without turn signaling. Like everybody has some kind of thing that they do. Maybe it's not on purpose. Maybe you just didn't think about it, or maybe it was like a thing you had to do to avoid traffic, or whatever it is. That little dongle will ding you on your insurance, okay? And it will report that to your insurance. And they'll go, hmm, this person has a history of speeding. We're going to raise their insurance. Now, it was there for a discount, but that's not how it worked out. Ooh, <laughs> you know, your safe driver dongle says that you've been speeding an awful lot, and um, we just don't think that's a safe activity, Right? This is where we're all going. This is this is what you're doing. Not only is Big Brother watching you, it's not Big Brother. It's the big family, big government, big everybody. Big everybody is watching you. And they want to put you in a nice, clean little box and make sure that you don't do anything, but they got all your money. And that's really what – your cog's in a machine. So when I look at problems like transportation, when I look at problems like our political system or – uh, how we deal with student debt, as we did uh, this week. Um, <laughs> my, my wife and I were were uh, in uh, our local area. The where there's our, our nearest town, our big town is is uh, called Denton, Texas, and it is a three college town. 
There's three major universities in that town. So there's college kids crawling all over it. And we're sitting there eating dinner uh, out of just a regular burger joint. And the conversations surrounding us were both amazing and the most moronic statements I've ever heard young people making. Right? Well, look, I can guess what some of them were. But, you know, really what it comes down to is is, – this doesn't actually affect people who don't make enough money. This doesn't affect – this is it's just one of the dumbest things on the face of the earth. I mean, why don't just basically say, you know what, I'm buying your vote. Just be honest about it. Yeah. No. You know, student loan repayment until December right after the elections. Vote buying. Um, forgiving – And then, and then I know, promise that we are going to – that we're going to – uh, at once that's done, that we're going to start forgiving loans. Now, the only way they're going to start forgiving loans is if the Democrats are still in charge. Well, didn't he already do that? I mean, didn't he do the uh, 10000 and 20000 if you had a Pell, 10000 if you were... But once again, none of that actually happens until after the oh, moratorium right. oh, no. at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he already he wrote it into... To the, so, I mean, it's going to happen. Yes, but what's going to happen is is that is the the part that's not been really really discussed, uh, and won't be discussed until we decide who is it, who it is that's going to be discussing it with him is whether or not he has the power to do so. Well, it'll be an interesting time, but I mean well, that's no, but the, basically the implication that's being made is is that if the Democrats are still in power when this time period comes, that obviously this is going to happen. But obviously, if the Republicans are in charge when the time comes. Uh, in charge of Congress when the time comes that they're going to tell him he can't do that. Therefore, you got to vote Democrat. Otherwise, you won't get this. And he it's like Joe... buying your vote. It's like Joe Isuzu. Trust me. You know, <laughs> uh, I just I can't get there from here, you know, and and like, don't think I'm pro Republican either. They're all assholes. Right? They all are conspiring to strip the American people of their their rights, their pride, their dignity, and their money. Actually, I this weekend I figured something out. I finally at least got a grasp on something. It's a question that I have been asking that no one has responded to me about, but I think I finally figured it out for myself, to, at least to some extent. I'm not sure I'm 100% accurate, but I'm close. I've been asking for several months now, who the anywhere depending on what day you ask 30 to 40 percent of american population who actually has a a favorable opinion of the job that joe biden is doing Mm -hmm. okay and i don't care which political party you're on be 30 to 40 percent of american people are the only ones who think that joe biden is doing a good job And I've been trying to figure out why. I've been trying to figure out what it is they're looking at. And now I'm sure that I can take a large percentage of these people out of the uh, people who are saying that Joe Biden is doing an an excellent job by saying that there's at least a large percentage of these people who say uh, at least he's not Trump. Yeah. Uh, Yep. Okay. So, but we're trying to get away from those. We're trying. I'm trying to look find people who objectively look at the things that are going on and say, this is a good job. This man has done an excellent job. And it was the Bill Maher show that finally answered this question for me. 
and I do like watching Bill Maher. I don't always agree with the his. I don't agree with his opinions all that much, but I think it's it it just that this level of discussion in that show is something you're not really finding a whole lot of other places other than like podcasts and so. And that's actually another answer to um, Star Pie with regards to my answer to a lot of these things. Um, you, me, and StarPie, and most of the people listening to this actually have no power other than our vote. However, we don't have anything worthwhile to vote for. So the only power we're left with is our voice. So that's my other answer is conversation. You've heard me say it before. Go have a conversation with somebody who disagrees with you. Don't necessarily have to change their mind. They don't have to change yours. But you do have to understand where each other are coming from. It's part of why you and I started this podcast was even whether or not there's, depending on which cast you look at, anywhere from 20 to 50 people even bothering to listen to us, uh, you know, pontificate on a weekly basis. Uh, it, it's it's conversation. It's people talking, people disagreeing. You know, Star Pie and I may not agree on everything. Uh, you know, um, Yepix and I agree on next to nothing. Uh, but I, I love the conversations that start from this, and I think that's the only way anything changes is to continue to have conversations, the ability to speak. It's also one of the reasons why I get so uptight about the First Amendment stuff. The ability to have conversation, especially with somebody you disagree with, is paramount. That's actually my real answer to all of this. Uh, back to where I was going. Uh, Bill Maher, one of the guests on Bill Maher this week was Rob Reiner. I'm assuming you know who Rob Reiner is. I do. Okay. Very, very adamant Democrat. Uh, and, and that's ever been perfectly fine. He's welcome to be so. And he made a statement that made a lot of things click in my head. And his statement was, um, look at all the things that President Biden has accomplished you know, with whether it's, you know, the green policies, infrastructure things. I don't understand why people are not more positive about the things that he accomplishes. And I I think that his approval ratings are not indicative of what he's accomplished. And it suddenly occurred to me. Uh, and, and he's welcome to his opinion. I'm not angry with Rob Reiner as far as his opinion goes. But Rob Reiner is Hollywood royalty. Uh, his father, Carl Reiner, you know, basically got him into the business and he has probably at no point in his life never had not had the opportunity to be wealthy. Now, I'm not saying I don't know what his financial situation throughout his entire life was, but at any point in his life, he's had the opportunity to be wealthy. He's looking at it from a different point of view, and I think this is where the people who actually have approval rating for Biden are looking at it from, which are they're looking at it from the point of view of things like infrastructure, things like um, setting up the government programs, and they're looking at it in things like um, the environment and climate change and stuff like that, whereas the people, he what they don't understand and why they're sitting there going, I don't understand why he has such a low approval rating, is because these same people who are looking at those accomplishments are not the people who are looking at their tax bill and their light bill 
both of which Biden promised you if you were making less than $400,000 a year would not go up and recognizing that they can only afford to pay one or the other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Long explanation to a simple concept. I apologize. Yeah. The rich. He's rich. Exactly. But that's what I think is you've got some of these people who have no concept as to the financial things that are going on in the world and not in going the the same people who are looking at you going, what's the big deal as far as gas prices go? Just go buy an electric car. You know, sir, an electric car is $60,000. I can't afford that. Well, get, get over it. Yeah. You know, um, what, do you, what do you mean, taxes? You, obviously, you can make more money to ha- you can have enough money to pay your taxes. Well, well, he told me my taxes wouldn't go up if I made more than less than four hundred thousand dollars a year. Not only did they go up, but now my electricity bill is also going up, which he tells me is my imagination. And I can only afford to pay one or the other. It- <laughs> There, there's there's yeah. that there's that disconnect, but even then it's the disconnect of then well this must be your imagination. I liken it also to general versus private syndrome, right? A general looks out on the battlefield with binoculars and says, "Wow, this battle's going well. This is going very well," you know, as he looks out at the back, you know, from the back, and he sees all the stuff going on, and he's like, "Man, we're only losing." 15 20 percent we're still pushing forward you know all, all of this is going well we need to we need to work on our supply lines we need to work on this we need to work on that and he has a very different view than somebody in the trenches getting the shit beat out of them because they're on the side that's getting pushed and it, it's it's a very different look you know you're talking high altitude versus on the ground and from a, a certain perspective, if your basic needs are met and more than your basic needs are met, if you don't have to worry about – if like money isn't a worry for you, if your lifestyle is not being threatened, if the resources available to you haven't changed at all noticeably, what do you care? You think everything's going great. I don't understand what all this does. I have three Teslas in the garage. I have five-car garage. I have – a mansion. I have staff who works for me. They all seem to be happy. I eat the same food I ate every day. I, I have uh, gainful employment, and I don't drive as much as I used to. When I do, I drive an electric car. Uh, I think this administration is going fantastic. That is a very different view than somebody working two jobs and the amount of the the cost of their food has almost doubled. Um, resources are scarce. They live in an area that is rapidly becoming. Uh, not what it was. There's very different views here. And I think you're right. It's the difference between money and not. It's the difference between having and have not. Look what happened. But, but when... even then, you have those people who are honestly looking down on the person who works two jobs. You shouldn't oh, have to do that. You shouldn't oh, sure. have to do that. You know, I, I know you and I come from a different perspective, and I understand the fact that having to work two jobs sucks. But at the same time, there was a point in time in which there was a level of respect in that. I'm going to do what I need to do to take care of my family. And now it's it's a very different conversation. Y- yes, which kind of goes into something I knew you wanted to talk about today, which is quite quitting. You know, I see both sides of it, to be quite honest. Oh, I, um, I, I do as well. But at the uh, same time... It, here's here's the thing like there's 
there's there's both sides of that, right? And if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't understand how there's both sides, let me give you both, right? The the first side, which is what this was created for, and the why they they created this term is for the employee and the employee being asked to go above, quote unquote, above and beyond what they're paid to do. That has been the modus operandi and the backbone of corporations and small businesses throughout the history of the United States is companies, businesses use labor to get the resources and revenue they need. That is a simple fact. But there was a point in time in which, and it's one of the complaints that is legitimate today, there was a point in time in which if you gave as an employee of yourself in that fashion that there was a legitimate expectation of reward down the line. Yeah, it was called being a company man. And I I hate the, the I mean, I know that term is gendered, but that is what the term was called uh, because it happened so long ago that there was just basically men in the workforce. Uh, but when you were a company person, you ate, sleep and breathed the company's business and you you struggled to benefit the company in an outstanding way and you were were, were rewarded for that i cannot say that apparently right now and reward reward yeah even the word just struggles to stumble out of my mouth because it doesn't happen anymore that was called being a company man and the company would reward you for that and you would retire at that company right the uh, the average length of somebody in the 1950s working for a company, you might work for a company your entire career. The average length of employment for any corporate person right now is three and a half years. Okay, they would call that 50 years ago. They would call that a job hopper. They'd say you're not, you haven't invested in any kind of company because you don't care about the company's success, and you would actually have trouble getting hired because you weren't all for the company. And that was a very successful way for uh, America's businesses to gain wealth because you had these people who would go over and above and would ruin their marriages and their family and everything else. And, and there was no such thing as work-life balance, none of that shit. That was what you did. That was how you, you went about being employed and you struggled and, and strived and, and sacrificed for this so that you could provide for your family. Uh, now, what the, in an ironic twist, uh, the family would also um, normally rebel against this because you weren't spending any time with them because you were struggling to try and provide for your family. Your family would often uh, – you'd get divorced because your wife would leave you because you were never home. Uh, your kids would resent you, would grow up to resent you because you didn't spend any time with them, and your effort to provide for your family was basically lost uh, because – Everyone resented that you weren't there. They didn't see the sacrifice. They didn't see that you were working for them, not for you. Oftentimes, this and, now and, you and now we're seeing the pendulum swing. And now you're seeing the pendulum swing, right? It is, it is. That's your time. Now you're not on my time. Now I'm not going to give you a penny extra. I'm not going to give you a minute extra. I'm not going to give you any consideration because you're not going to give me any. Uh, as well, you're not going to promote me. You're not going to treat me like a human. You try and squeeze every last bit of, of resource out of me without paying me any extra. And that is, by the way, what companies have started doing uh, since the 1970s and 1980s. It is very, very prevalent. Uh, they ceased the reward program. 
they ceased pensions. Like when was the last time you talked to anybody with any kind of pension? It doesn't happen anymore. There might be a few holdouts here and there, well, but that's it, about it. Usually the ones that are holds out are, are unions that have pensions and but even then it's they've been drastically reduced and it's been it's questionable as to whether or not they even halfway through your pension look at you and go yeah we can afford that anymore happened to my father um he had one and they uh they went to congress and told him you know we really can't afford uh he worked for the telephone company for uh 40 years and they went to Congress. Uh, it was GTE, which later became a company in the letter, uh, known as Verizon. They went to Congress and said, yeah, we're too big to fail, but um, if you could just relieve us of paying all these pensions and all these retirement funds, uh, we'd be which, much which better ironically off. ironically enough, the people that they were saying can't, ha- can't get paid are the ones that paid into this. Yeah. Yeah. And um, they took it. Now, uh, there were some loopholes in there that they had to legally leave in there that if you you could prove all this and you could do all this stuff. Um, Luckily, my mother is not only brilliant, but um, maliciously compliant, kept every pay stub that man ever made. (laughs) Every one. They were in a box in the closet. And they said, well, can you prove how much money you've paid into this system? And, of course, nobody could do that, but my mom could. (laughs) She said, I have every paycheck you've ever brought home. No, you don't. Oh, yes, I do. What years would you like? And she took it down to... (laughs) This may have been a fire hazard, but I still have it, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. She had several boxes full of it all. And then he's like, can we use this? She goes, oh, they can have copies, but I'm not giving the originals to anybody. They can, you know, suck it. And she went down to... (laughs) Until uh... the FBI shows up at your house and wants your boxes. Exactly. Uh... (laughs) Sorry, bad joke. (laughs) It's a very fine FBI officers. Um, there's there's all kinds of stuff that are like they they don't do that anymore. They don't have uh, paid in programs. They use you and forget you. If you if you quit producing to the same level of satisfaction that they want, they get rid of you and get another one just like you. You are a, a replaceable, a completely replaceable cog to most businesses. Now, the smaller you get, the more valuable you may be. Um, I, I, after watching what happened to my father, I refuse to work for a large organization. I just refuse. You're, you're a fucking number. Oh, I refuse I, to do it. I've, I've tried it a couple of times. Actually, I still, I, I am in the same boat you are. I work for a small business, and yeah, would never do this differently. I, I wouldn't either. I don't. I can't. Um, I tried it when I first started working, and I was like, nope, nope. I see I see what they did to my dad. I see what they did to a lot of other people, and I just won't do it. And I started I, – I, now, I could probably be making more money if I was working for one of those large businesses, uh, but I prefer a small company. At least you have to lie to my face. You know, like you can't, you can't lie in an email or something like that. Like you got if you're going to lie to me, lie to my face. You know, um, now, luckily, I work for a wonderful man. He's the best boss I ever had. Um, but I'm actually in the same boat as that one. I, I, I enjoy my job very much and I enjoy the people I work for. I trust the people I work for because I know them. Um, I don't make the mistake of thinking we're family. We're not. We have a business to run, but at least I enjoy working for them and they give it to me straight. So 
that is much more preferable to me, even though I make probably 40% of what somebody with my title might make at a big uh, corporation. I prefer that than to the other way around. Now, um, that's perfectly obvious to the most casual observer. If you flip that and talk about American businesses, what has happened, especially with millennials and Gen Z, is sort of a an issue of their own making. Um, we have told our children, and I say we as a culture and society, we have told our children that the only way to get ahead in life is to have a college education, preferably a four-year one, maybe a master's or an MBA. Um, as it turns out, having one of the – if everyone has one, it kind of devalues it and well, – it- the way colleges have been rewarded by um, the different grants and the different ways the government subsidizes and funds them, it has not behooved colleges to make that education particularly valuable. They run people in and out of there so fast with so little learning and just do the bare minimum that a four-year degree – now is very different than a four-year degree 20 or 30 years ago. The well, level of but, competency is ridiculous. But not only that, but what you can get a four-year degree in is different. Oh, very much so. You know, we're, we're not talking about somebody who chooses to go out and get a four-year degree in astrophysics. Or engineering, or accounting, or... Or, quite frankly... Programming. Even, or, quite frankly, even the creatives at this point in time... You know, you listen to people in, in business these days, and they're even telling you that if you're going to have an education, what you basically need is an education of one of two things, either engineering or something of that nature or creativity, one or the other, because that's the only thing that these people are going to be hiring for at this point in time. Everything else can be done by a robot. And it's funny, I got a creative programming degree, which puts me right in the slot, right? 20 years ago in the late 90s, I, I came out of school with a creative programming degree. They snapped me up so hard, it wasn't even funny. I had a job in three days of my, my uh, graduating job fair. Uh, we did the little job fair. I had four job offers. One was for LucasArts. One was for what would later become Cartoon Network uh, out in Nashville, uh, William Street. Uh, one for a uh, telecommunications company and one for an e-learning company here in Texas. And uh, because my wife is a fucking Texas girl and would not just uh, even entertain the the notion of living somewhere other than Texas, I was limited to the e-learning one and the telecommunications. Well, my father worked in telecommunications. And I wasn't going to that, so I went into e-learning. But I had a job. I had a job that paid industry standard uh, for a beginning level programmer, creative person, three days before I graduated at my job of three days of having the job fair. And a week before I graduated, I had a job waiting for me. Now, that is not the experience of a college graduate today, well, generally speaking. It, well, once again, they're not even being encouraged to you know, the example I'll give. Now, my daughter, as we've discussed on many occasions, just left yesterday for college. Woohoo! Uh, and, and she oh. and she went to art school. Her options that she had, as far as the things that she was looking to pursue, 
were um, is some sort of animation uh, game programming, something of that nature, which is mm-hmm. the chose the direction she chose, or the performing arts. I told her my statement to her was very very simple, and I and I appreciate the direction she chose. After though I waited months just so she didn't think I was trying to push her in a different direction. I did explain to her that I was very approving of the direction that she chose, because my statement was is that at some point in life you're going to have to support yourself, even if you plan on living under me for your entire as much as humanly possible. I am going to die at some point, and you're going to have to be able to support yourself. Uh, and that done uh, with that thought process, she passed up on the performing arts and decided to go towards animation, illustration, gaming, and stuff of that nature. What I told her later on, I, as I said, I waited months until after she'd made this decision because I didn't want her to think I was I was trying to convince her of anything. I looked at her and said, you know, I'm I, I'm really proud of the choice that you made because of the fact that you will probably, as long as you're successful, have opportunities for employment for your rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you chose to go into the performing arts, 50-50. You are going to be the most talented barista. <laughs> <laughs> but but at the same time, but that's that's not what we're telling our kids that are going to college. We've got these kids that want. I mean, the the cliche uh, major program that is that always comes up is women's studies. But and it's a cliche. But take it anyway. You know, whether it's women's studies, philosophy, um, uh, genderism. Uh, pick any of these things that people yeah, are a lot getting of the de- liberal arts yeah. the people are getting degrees in and then turning around going well, why does nobody want to hire me yeah does anybody have an opening in that you uh, know like okay i i understand you want to get your doctorate in women's studies okay what are you gonna do with that and what do you think that now i i'm not saying money is everything not not by any stretch of the measure that would not come out of my mouth i'm a freaking artist by trade okay no, that's not what I do anymore. However, um, I manage a team of artists now and the rest of the company. But what what do you plan to do with that women's studies degree? Congratulations, you're a women's studies PhD. Now what? Like what job? What's your job pool? Do you think I hope in the you United can, States? I hope you that? can write a really interesting book. Right. Um, is that how many women's studies? professors are required and needed in the United States right now. I'm going to bet you that job pool is less than 50, maybe a hundred. Okay. So you are now one of, there are one of a hundred. I think if I remember correctly, there's something like 700 universities in the United States. I may may be way off on that. Absolutely. But how many of them don't have that slot filled? Good point. That's what I'm talking about. Openings opportunities there there's jobs out there for it, but how many are open and how many do they need and that's the part that i think nobody really goes over how many how many graphic designers do you think we need the answer is tens of thousands because everybody needs one right how many illustrators do you think we need well that's there's a lot of illustrators out there you need how many programmers do you think we need millions how many engineers do you think we need tens of millions there's jobs out there for those things. When you have a PhD in women's studies, I think the job pool for available uh, vacancies and openings in those those professions is 
relatively minute. When you, you know, the more broad it, and I'm not saying you should have a general studies degree. I'm saying that, that you, if you're going to get a college education, shoot for something you think has application and job openings out there, right? Uh, a good friend of mine has a, a son who just graduated from ATI. It's an American Technical Institute. He, he is going into IT, right? Um, I think it's ATI. Uh, there's, you could throw a stick and hit, and uh, hit a a uh, a job in IT. Uh, another friend of mine has a son that uh, just went to the uh, to to enrolled in a automotive course or um, automotive school. Now, automotive the automotive industry is wildly changing. But the degree plan that he's going into teaches half conventional ICE vehicles and half EV vehicles. Now, do you think an EV mechanic is going to be particularly valuable in the next 10 to 20 years? Uh-huh. Yeah, I do. You're going to be one of the very few people who come out of there with that, <laughs> with that, who are now you're competing with a garage or a, a dealer or a service uh, uh, business has a an opening he's conven- competing against a guy who only has ice vehicle experience and he says oh by the way i can work on ev vehicles is that going to be valuable yes yes it is soon right uh you want, so- you, you want to hear something that'll annoy you though little article i read recently if uh amongst all of this uh repayment of college debt now, none of what's offering to be repaid is technical school. Right. No. No. Not only that, but here comes a wonderful one. What's quietly going on behind the scenes at the moment is they're also taking away the ability for those technical schools to become accredited to be able to get financial aid for in the first place. Oh, yeah. No, they don't want that because they can find jobs, right? You come out of a technical school, which is technically what an art school or one of those two-year degree art school type degrees is. It's technical school, right? It's accelerated training to provide you the ability to go get one of several jobs. Not we're going to give you a degree. The degree is secondary, right? You're preparing for entering the workforce in this industry. Whatever that is, it's a very specific type of training, and it's something that is sorely lacking in the American psyche right now. Uh, as good as Micro tries to make it, who is vilified vehemently because a lot of people have bought into this this degree of uselessness, uh, and I use this as both the <laughs> the literal and figurative term that it is. These degrees of usefulness or uselessness. These people have bought into something that is our fault as a society of telling them, which is you can get a degree in something useless and it will be okay because eventually somebody will need that. And that is in some cases not fucking true. So when you have these people, well, I, who- I, I, you know what I, having now been in that position, I'm also feeling to somewhat bad for those parents who are vilified for basically going, uh, no, I will not pay for a, d- a degree in 
underwater basket weaving, which was the cliche when we were kids. Sure. Um, I understand that now. I understand looking at your kids and going, no, I want you to do something that's going to not only be fulfilling, but at the same time provide for you. Here's here's where I think the turn happened, and it happened it happened well, somewhere I, I, in our I'm childhood. Gonna, I'm going to throw in one other thing real quick, because the other side of that is I'm understanding how how horrified these people are when they're looking at their kids who are looking at them going, you're crushing my dreams. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm and I'm seeing that the people who didn't give in to that are being vilified. And it's kind of like, no, you were doing God's work. <laughs> Here's where it turned, and it goes into that, that exact point, right? Somewhere along the way, it changed from you must be a productive member of society. And I agree that a lot of people uh, of not our parents' age, but of like the greatest generation, you know, those people coming back from World War II said, shut up and get a job. Or, or you want that? That's stupid. Do something useful. You know, like that's, that was the message that, that the boomers got, right? And they said – as a generation, we're not going to do that to our kids because that's harsh. And I think it is, right? That's stupid. Become a mailman. That's stupid because you get a real job, you know, whatever it was, right? Like my mother looked at me when I was 12 years old going, you can't make money gaming with those stupid computers. And I'm, you know, <laughs> okay. Okay. There's, now you okay. can't get money playing the games, but making the games that other people play if you're going that direction, I mean, yes, can you make money playing the games? Yes, but, you know, well, are you Michael Jordan of Call of Duty? Eight years later, yeah, eight years later when I enrolled in art school and one of the classes was video game art and, and artistic uh, uh, expression in that medium. Um, I mean, it wasn't video game art, but it but it was digital art and and uh, uh 2D and 3D animation, which was designed around a gaming framework. I, went, I took home my, my syllabus and went, yes, I can. Look. <laughs> you know, I'm still and, defending your mother on this one that I think she was coming at it from a different perspective. Oh, no, she was terrified I was going to be a layabout gamer. No, I totally get it. I totally get it. <laughs> they didn't have the term for this, and it didn't exist then, but she was terrified I was going to try and make my living as a Twitch streamer, right? Like... I get it. <laughs> like I totally get it. It's the same as your teenager turning to you now going, oh, don't worry about anything. I'm going to be an influencer, right? Like, oh, dear Lord, I failed as a parent. Like, I get it. I do. I totally get it. Um, <laughs> okay, but if you get to OnlyFans, you're no longer mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It depends on how much she makes. If she makes 60000 a month, I'll set up the camera. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Dad will help you. Can I get in on some of this? Like whatever. Uh, but here's the thing. Somewhere in there, it turns to I need you to be a productive member of society. To as I don't care what you do as long as you're happy. And that H word is lethal. Because like you're saying, you're killing my dreams. I just want to be happy. And all I can hear is Dennis Leary. I just want to be happy. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up, right? I did want to be happy. I did not happy. You know, nobody's happy. Well, <laughs> nobody I, lives their dream. But here's it. But that, but that actually is an, an interesting question. At what point did we come to the expectation that everyone was going to get to be happy? That's it. That's right there. 
like happiness and i truly believe this happiness is a matter of perspective and a matter of what you value and if you've done a good job showing your children how the world works and what people are doing and what they're capable of like i think happiness can be achieved in almost anything you do right do i do i is my job right now um the the what I thought I'd be doing when I was ten. No, absolutely oh, not. When I was ten. I wanted to be a fireman. Right. I wanted to be an inventor. <laughs> right. Now, um, I will admit that if you look at some of the female firefighter influencers, I I, I would still like to be a fireman. <laughs> I'd like to be an arsonist. That's, <laughs> that's what I'd like to be. Uh, she's gonna give me mouth to mouth. Yeah, let's do this. Um, hold on while I set the shit on fire. Uh, no, there's, there's all kinds of, of like, I, but am I happy doing what I'm doing? I had a great, I have a great life. You know, did I ever thought I would end up where I'm doing, doing what I'm doing, living where I'm living, married to who I'm married to? No, I had no freaking clue, but I understand what pursuing happiness and happiness looks like for me. And I'm very pleased with the way my life is going right now. Now, I'm not pleased with society, but I'm pleased with my – I love my family. I like what I do. I respect the people I work with, and I enjoy my day-to-day life. I don't know if, like, that's considered happiness for everybody, but that's happiness for me. We have to have – But see, that that's – even the other part is is that the definition of what should make you happy has changed. Not only that, but if your definition of happy doesn't fit with somebody else's, you're wrong. Yeah. And we, but but, it's, but that's but that goes into so many other things that we're talking about. Even just the ability to have a conversation with somebody and have it. Be, oh, oh no, 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 you're wrong. You know, I, use use an example. We'll, we'll as the example, we'll talk about women who choose to be homemakers. Oh, they're vilified right now. Oh, absolutely. They're now, they're. I'm not talking failing about, women. I'm not talking about the people who are forced to stay home. I'm not talking about the people who uh, – They choose a, to be housewives and homemakers. Exactly. Yeah. They are, they are vilified universally because they are not leaning – quote-unquote leaning in, and they're failing women, uh, according to some people. But, but the uh, other part of that is is that you will ask some, not all, because not everybody has the same definition, of these people, are you happy with your life? And the answer that you will get from some, not all, is yes. And they will be told that they are wrong. Yeah, because what they want is wrong. You will have some people these days who are absolute 100% workaholics. That's what they do. I go to work. Are you happy doing so? If you tell people, yes, I love my job, I love being there on a day-to-day basis, it's what gives me purpose in life, knowing that I am supporting my family on a day-to-day basis, working my ass off, that is what makes me happy. You are also wrong. You're also wrong. And and this is this is where we got messed up, right? This is like if you ask a kid now, like when we were a kid, it was like a fireman. Uh, you know, a uh, movie star, 
uh, fa- rock singer, right? That's that's what when we were kids. That you know what the answer is now? Influencer. Influencer. I want to be able to lay about and you know. I want to be a streamer every day. Yeah, I want to be. I want to do this or that or what. You know, it's always something like that. Or they'll say, and I love this answer. I want to be an entrepreneur. God, I love that one. Like, and, okay, and, what do you want to sell? And if you <laughs> what really do you want to make? And if you want to watch the downside to that statement, there are two documentaries that you need to watch. One of them is on the Fire Festival, and the other one is on Theranos. Basically, two young people who decided that they were entrepreneurs. What are you an entrepreneur for? I don't know. I'm an entrepreneur. What do you make? What are you going to make? Um, I'm going to make this. Does it work? Yes. Prove it. I can't. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, we, we've, we've separated somewhere in there. I'm not sure where it is exactly, but we, we, as long as you're happy. And we, we did an entire generation like that. The millennials are, are like that. As long, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're happy. Well, and now they find out that it's very difficult to be happy when what you want is not something you can attain. Well, now what? <laughs> right? Now, 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 my mother uh, phrased it a little bit differently, and my father was very differently. But my, my, my mother said, as long as you are happy doing what you're doing, I don't care what you become, but you must do something. You know, you're going to have to find something you can do. But as long as you're happy with that, I don't care what that is, which is a slight variation. Uh, my father, like many fathers of his generation, and I'm sure like yours, is like, I don't care what you do, but you got to leave the house. Like, as long as you're out and being productive, <laughs> I don't give a shit what it is. Actually, with it my is, father, it was it, the term was productive. Yeah. As long um, as you're productive. Uh, it, you know, he, he had a, a at the time that this conversation was had. Now, life has changed since the divorce. But um, at the time, he had a rather large house. It was kind of like, uh, look, I got rooms. It's it's not a big deal if you want to, but you have to be a productive human being. Yeah, my my father, I think his his term was self sufficient. Um, he didn't care what it was as long as I was self sufficient. You know, his big plan was to get me into the military because that's how he did it, right? The, um, the military was a threat from my father. <laughs> Uh, his big plan was to get me in the military because he's like, look, that's how I did it, you know. No, he got drafted into. Vietnam, but as it turned out, he was he liked the military a great deal, and it appealed to his sense of order and his sense of of function and self, and he loved serving and and you know after the war. Um, well, that, that was also a different time period in which that was considered a positive. It's another yeah. one that you may or may not, depending on who you talk to, be vilified for these days. And, you know, when he got out, he exactly. And when he got out, he, he took advantage of the GI Bill, got himself a college education and uh, used that to go into the telecommunications industry. Uh, because that's what he was taught in the military was telecommunications. He worked on satellites and, and stuff like that and, and radio equipment and, and cutting-edge stuff at that time in Vietnam in the, in the military. So he thought, wow, this is a great way to you, for you to, to go and do something and get money for the GI Bill so you can go out in college and do whatever you want. And that was his plan to get – like he was, he was super on board with that plan. Um, now 
The one factor he didn't take into account was during the Clinton administration, which is when I was uh, that age, uh, they were trying to downsize the military and they were trying to find any reason to kick you out. Not like now where they're trying to find any reason to get you in and you can fog a mirror and basically get in the military uh, if you're not obese. Um no, or have tattoos on your, yeah, or have tattoos on your neck, or 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 uh, uh, warrants <laughs> I, out for your arrest. I've taken a lot of those tattoos off. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, it, there's there was there was a methodology, but at some point we have to we have to prepare children as a society i'm not just pointing fingers at people as a society we have to start preparing children for our reality not just a bleak landscape of you're going to be fucked <laughs> you know like not anything like that but like try and communicate as you have done to your child uh or with your child communicate like look this is kind of how the world works i wish it didn't in some areas some areas it's really good some things are are going to work out for you sometimes it's going to be great but this is how it works, and I'm trying to get you to a place where you can manage this yourself and, and make decisions that are good for you. And I love the way that um, <laughs> other people or, you know, like other people are, and comedians and, and describe how making college-level decisions uh, – John Mulaney has a great – bit on this uh where he's like look i was 17 years old and i made an uh, i made a a decision about college to be an english major with no attorney present <laughs> and committed myself to $120,000 of college repayment and uh where they basically shoved me in a cinder block room for 4 years with a reservoir dogs poster and told me to Jane, to read Jane Austen, and I didn't. <laughs> that like, gave me probably HPV in the in the first real heartbreak I ever had, and that was college. And I came out with an English degree. And now, if you're brilliant like John Mulaney, this is not a problem. But he is the one tenth of one percent that made it like that. Most other people. Not so much. So you're saddled with this great debt. You don't know what to do with it. And that's really where a lot of this college loan, to bring that back around, a lot of this college loan and college loan forgiveness is because of our own damn fault. We've sold them a bill of goods that is not true, hasn't been true for 40 years almost, 30, 40 years easily. The the lie of some of these things that – and we continue to sell them because colleges college continues to be a big business and it's subsidized by the government in a very specific way that perpetuates this continued lie and at some point instead of forgiveness of hey we lied but we're going to let you slide on some of this if you vote for us or whatever it is right we have to start fixing the predatory system instead of trying to lie to continued generations of American children. And I don't know how we get to that point other than to stop lying to them, right? Don't coddle them. Tell them how it is. Like, look, I, I don't have all the answers either, but this is what I see. 
Now, you can go and do whatever you want because after 18, it's your decision and your life. I'm just telling you this is what I see and how it's working and how it will work for you. What do you want to do? Like, Do you have a better plan than I do? God knows I'm willing to listen. And and try, which is kind of the what I'm trying to do with my kids, even at the age of 13. Like, look, okay, well, you got to start early on them, right? You know, like my my eldest, who you guys will hear on the 80s G's podcast. Uh, another plug, uh, shameless plug. The we are in fact shameless here. We are in fact shameless, uh, and I try and tell her she's she's like dad. You know, one of my friends, Camilla, says, uh, she's like, what if I get into Harvard? You know, how will we pay for it? I'm like, all right, well, you get into Harvard and we will talk about what that is. And she, <laughs> and even at 13, my darling daughter went, yeah, you're right. That's probably not happening. I'm like, I'm not saying it won't. <laughs> and you can try if that's the, the, the level you want to hit. By all means, I will be willing to help you with whatever. And and she's like, hmm, that's probably not where I'm headed, Dad. In fact, that doesn't even really sound good. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, I, I have to hide the boundless relief behind that statement. But Well, I mean, hell, she's going to go to Harvard as a Texas girl with a dad who likes guns. Right. <laughs> no. My, she'd have just as much luck at Berkeley. Yeah, my dis- my dyslexic daughter who struggles in math <laughs> is going to go to Harvard for what? Like, what what is the plan here? You know, my eldest or my youngest. Well, I wasn't saying as far as getting in. I was talking about as far as being being there and not being lynched. Yeah, I don't think that's probably going to happen. Wait a minute, are we allowed to say lynch? I I don't know. I, I don't. Know. We're not allowed to say anything anymore. But this is the last free medium, so if we're not allowed to say it here, I don't know where we're allowed to say it. Okay. Well, they haven't come for podcasts yet. Well, I I have one other topic that we can do briefly until we jump in because it's not only a question for you, but it's also a question I'm going to pose towards uh, those who listen to our cast and see if they'll communicate with us about it. Um. It has become increasingly clear, especially over the past few weeks, especially over the past few days since the lovely Mark Zuckerberg was interviewed on the Joe Rogan podcast, that the FBI took a rather impressive hand in making sure that certain information about our beloved president did not come out or become very well publicized prior to the election. Huh, isn't that weird? Uh, amazing. So little things like the fact that our beloved president's son was, in fact, using his using influence towards his father to make money. And oh, that doesn't happen. Uncle Joe said it didn't happen. Exactly. Not only that, but even been confirmed that the diary that was found was, in fact, his daughter's, and there is a good bit of information in there about inappropriate relationship between him and his daughter. Look, we all know that that's just conjecture and rumor designed to hurt the Biden administration. I can't believe you'd even repeat such a thing, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> repeat line. I can't believe you'd even <laughs> repeat such a thing. Uh, not only that, but the recent blunder that he read off of a teleprompter admitting that uh, an election, no statement as to which one it was, was in fact stolen. Weird. 
So the the question I have is the the term that's been comp, that's been put to this is um a conspiracy to get Joe Biden elected over Donald Trump. Now, the question that's been bouncing around, and it's my question towards you, and it's my question towards the audience, and, and I'm not going at this from having any statement on one side or the other, so please don't assume where I come down on this. I'm, that's directed to listeners, not Sean. Um, was a conspiracy against Donald Trump to keep him from being reelected justified? No. Categorically, no. Uh, well, the, be, be, and, the, and the reason why I ask is because there is a argument that's going on, and not in all the circles you would expect them to be going on, that Donald Trump was an existential threat to the United States, that we had to do anything we could to get rid of him, that even if it meant overlooking some just horrifying things from our current president, that that was justified. No, it's never justified. If you want to to have a democracy like ours, the minute you have a shadow government, publicly admitted shadow government, is the minute it becomes a, the very second it becomes a farce. And which I think we've already gotten to, by the way, um, we have a farce of a government. They are doing a very elaborate song and dance to keep us under control. Um, they're all crooked. They are, and I've said this many times, and I will continue to say it. They are all crooked, and it's just two sides of the same coin. Um, they have no qualms at all about lying to us, no qualms at all about stealing from us, and no qualms at all about changing the government however they see fit so that they come out on top. It's very short-sighted. However, right now, uh, it's people are comfortable enough that they won't actively rebel against it. And that's all they care about. Are you actively going to take away our power right now? And if the answer is no, they can keep pushing. So uh, when you talk about well, it, a well, I, theoretical I mean, thing, we are in a period of time in which literally disagreeing with the government can get you labeled as a violent extremist. Um, and, and and it's going those, very for, well for, for, them. for those of you who are listening. I, I promise you that's not hyperbole. No, go go, go read the uh, the Homeland Security uh, documents. What they what they've published uh, as as how they define that stuff. It is indeed true. However, um, hell, just being from Texas makes you a violent extremist, <laughs> as far as they're concerned. Yeah. The come and take it flag makes you a rebel. Uh, so, which uh, is hysterical. But, the you know, with your question, is it ever required, you know, under any means necessary, if you wanted this man not to be uh, president or something like that, um, but, you know, and you have to, you feel you have to remove him. Who are you? And why do you feel that way? And why do you have that power? Are you, you know, like what, so... When a small cabal or even a large cabal can get together and uh, theoretically, and I'm not saying this happened and I'm not saying it didn't, but let's say it, that, that it just for the purposes of, of this discussion, when a cabal can get together and just change the uh, makeup of American politics and the rules in the country in less than a year, 
this is a problem. No, it should not happen. Uh, you should not be able to decide the fate of the governed by a very small amount of people. Use the press to do it. Use the technology to do it and then just alter the fate of the American people as you see fit. No. Categorically, our country is done, if that is indeed true. We are on the downside and uh, just sliding towards authoritarianism. I, hey, I, I came – this also even goes into part of the conversations that have been going on between Starpie and myself of who do you vote for? And I, I think he and I are seeing it in a different fashion, and I'm sure he will correct me on this if I'm wrong. Um, I'm looking at this and saying that there's nobody out there worth voting for. Um, I'll admit the first time around, my vote went towards Donald Trump, and it wasn't for Donald Trump. It was against Hillary Clinton. Um, the second time around, I realized that that I couldn't do that anymore and literally wrote in none of the above. Um, I, I firmly believe that it didn't really matter who won that election, that we were going to be screwed in one direction or another right about now. Um, so it, it, that's one of the ones that I don't know how to solve other than one of the things with regards to we spoke about term limits out of Congress, because that's usually where we get a president from Donald Trump being obviously ex excluded from that. Uh, we don't have anybody out there running for office that is honest to God qualified to do the job at this point in time. So. I, I'm, I'm having a tough time even just with the moral. I, I understand where you're coming from with regards to no one should have the power to do that. But I'm kind of in the mode of we were screwed either way. What difference does it make? Effectively, I would say that's true. But I mean, the question was, do I think that that should happen? No, I do not think that should happen. Um the minute you start well, doing I, well, that, the, the you just hand the government to a the, group of people. The question was, under these circumstances, was it justified? No, it's never justified. Okay. That no. answers that. Um, and, and once again, audience, we're hoping that you weigh in. Absolutely. So, um, well, we've bitched enough. Do you have any uh, entertainment to talk about this week? Uh, no, not for me. I've been, no? uh, no, I don't. I, I, really, uh, like I've, I've been, uh, uh, largely playing Minecraft and finishing a book series on Audible, but that's, a... well, what's the book series? Uh, everybody loves large chests, which once again, though, some people might find to be inappropriate is actually, I, I read the first book is an excellent series. I blew through uh, all five books, and it's not what you think it is, actually. the Everybody loves large chest. The large chest is a mimic, so if you know what that is, it's a chest that has that looks like a treasure chest, but the minute you try and touch it, it eats you. Um, and it's his journey. It's its journey uh, between being a chest that eats people and becoming uh, evolved into a doppelganger. Um and it's it's a fantastic series. It's very tongue in cheek. It's very hysterical, and uh, you well, know I, such I, hell. I mean, I think that the town that it originally starts around is called Morningwood. Yep. <laughs> the, the, the whoever wrote this, and I don't know who the author is off the top of my head, has an excellent sense of humor. 
Well, actually, the the town is is different, but he later becomes named as a random character as Boxy T. Morningwood, uh, and <laughs> it's hysterical. Um, he he becomes a a whiz, uh, sorcerer, and his uh, so he can summon demon familiars, and uh, his well, that, that part the, I remember isn't his like main one called Snack. His name his. Big one is called Snack. His first one's called Snack because he eats her regularly to get rid of her, uh, and that she tastes good. So everything is tasty. Is it tasty or not? If it's not tasty, because he's a mimic, he sees everything as in like it's tasty or it's not. And if it's not, he's not interested. Um, or shiny. He loves shiny things too because he's a treasure chest, so he likes shiny things. Um, to summon his demon familiars or make demon contracts, he calls demons R us and talks to Carl, and uh, Carl. Carl is behind a computer and sends it. It's like ordering a maid or something like that. They just, they, okay, and what kind of demon were you looking for? Ah, I see. You want somebody handy in a fight. Okay, so he sends them a demon that is, uh, has four hands because she's extra handy. Um, I mean, it's, it's hysterical. Um, like it's, and you live, you, you live through this book series through the eyes of a mimic treasure chest. And how that works. So everybody loves, and they ask him, you know, and that's part of the joke, right? Um, they ask the treasure chest if he wants a demon with a large chest. Now he thinks that he's asking if they want a large treasure chest, and he's like, yes, every, of course, everybody loves large chests, and because he thinks that they mean treasure chests, so of course he wants one with a large treasure chest. He doesn't understand everybody's fascination with boobs. He literally doesn't understand it. He has no sexual drive one way or the other. And if I remember correctly, he cannot figure out how the succubus, who is who they send him first, actually manages to subdue people. Right. He's like, why are they listening to you? Like, I don't, He doesn't even understand sexual orientation or sexual drive at all because he has none. He's a treasure chest with teeth. So, like, the things she does, he's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Okay, I guess like he just doesn't understand it. Uh, it's a fantastic book series. I'm I, like I said, I've burned through the entire series in like two weeks. Um, well, the entire series on Audible. I think there's some that haven't been released on Audible yet, but there's like five books. I've blown through them all. They're great. Uh, <laughs> well, I will simply uh, since we're doing audiobooks, uh, throw out. And I've, I've kind of wanted to throw this into the list of things that we've enjoyed before. Sean and I have talked about it off cast on many occasions, which is my absolute favorite audiobook series of all time, which is by Jim Butcher, The Dresden Files. Parkour! <laughs> uh, <laughs> of course, even though you started saying that before he wrote that into the story, I, did. I, I obviously thought the thought of you immediately started jumping over things and screaming parkour. You see, and when I do it now, everybody's like, oh, you're doing The Office or you're doing Jim Butcher. I'm like, no, I've been doing that for years because <laughs> I'm the least, the least popular per, least parkourish person you've ever met. And I just uh, like screaming parkour it, you know, beef give me grief about that all the time you know screaming parkour i'm like it's word of power it's not a word of power and you can't do parkour i'm like i can't do <laughs> did that years before butcher wrote that well uh okay this is a series of novels that is up to the late teens though i'm drawing a blank off the top of my head as to how far he's made it uh the series is about a 
person in living in Chicago who has himself listed in the phone book as a wizard. Now, everybody, who, especially at the start of the series, thinks that he is simply a private investigator with a gimmick. Mm-hmm. Of course, the turnabout to that is he actually is a wizard. Um, it's first of all, it's a it's an excellently creative story. The system, you know, every time you come up with something that has a magical system in it, you have to talk about whether or not the magical system makes sense. This one does. It functions. It works. Uh, the writer is. Uh, very much into pop culture. A lot of his stuff ha- has pop culture reference to it. It's very well written. It's very well emotionally tied together. Uh, not only that, but as you go through the series, it goes from uh, small detective-like stories to downright epic by the time you get to the where the series is now. I will throw in one extra added treat to the whole thing, um, which is if you are into audiobooks, the audiobooks are narrated by a actor by the name of James Marsters. Uh, James Marsters, if you are not aware, played Spike in Buffy. Uh, and if you're somebody who would like these books, then you know exactly who Spike in Buffy is. Um, yeah, there he is fantastic, by the way. Just as far as a narrator in an audiobook, he is absolutely fantastic. He is absolutely wonderful. Um, the little pieces and parts that he adds into it just with the way he narrates it is, look, the man's almost brought tears to my eyes and I don't cry. He is fantastic. I think they're on book 17. I think 17.5 is like a novella, but uh, they're on book 17 of the series now and they are, they are excellent in every way. Well, I, um, I cannot recommend them enough. Book book 17.5 is a novella and I did read it and I actually read it because it was short enough that I wasn't willing to spend a credit on the audio version of it. I hear that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I won't spend a credit on anything less than 10 hours. Yeah, me neither. Um, so I actually read it. The funny part about it is, is that what I was hearing in my head was James Marster's voice as I was reading it. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Yeah. <laughs> but um, yes, an excellent, excellent book series. I cannot recommend it enough. I have one other thing that I have recently discovered with regards to audiobooks. If you like, if you're, if you're one of those people who believes that the narrator is the essence of an audiobook, or at least what makes certain audiobooks better than they could have normally been. Go on Audible and look for anything that is narrated by R.C. Bray. He is excellent. He is a wonderful voice actor, and he's done everything from the novelization of the movie The Martian um, to another series I really like, which is um, the... um, one with uh, Skippy the beer can as the uh, the AI. Yes. Why I'm drawing a blank on that one on the to- on the actual name of that series. The first book in the series is called Columbus Day. It's a whole spacefaring thing where uh, human beings are the trash of the galaxy and just trying to survive. Um, if you see something that is narrated by R.C. Bray, it's it's worth a listen. That's all I have to say. Also, I would add Andrea Parsnow to that list yes though you are going to probably get two different types of stories if you do that uh yes that is indeed true yes rc bray is a lot of science fiction and fantasy andrea parsno though not everything she reads does read a lot of smut and she really is good at it Mm, she really (laughs) is 
She really, <laughs> really is. But uh, she has two of my favorite book series, which is uh, Super Sales on Superheroes uh, and almost anything that uh, um, Randy Darren. Randy Darren writes. I'm convinced that the two authors are actually the same person. Exactly. I, I know they have to be. And then um, the other one that uh, she does, uh, the other series that she does, this is near and dear to my heart, is The Wandering Inn, which is utterly fantastic. A uh, little long. So if you're you're into long books and you travel a lot, The Wandering Inn series is pretty good. But, uh, yeah, there's there's just some great audiobooks out there. Uh, anything else this week? Man, I think we've rambled on enough. Well, then uh, we will see you next week. Uh, once again, please, 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 please join the conversation, especially if not. Now, if you want to tell us you think we're right, we'd love to hear from you. But especially if you think we're wrong, please come and tell us why. We'd love to talk about it. We'd love to hear from you. Have a good week. <laughs>